Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski. On today's show, I'm going to start our coverage of the Toronto International Film Festival. It's their 45th year. Mostly, you know, there's going to be a lot of digital screenings and some in person, and there will be more public things like drive-in movies, lots of events going on, even though this is, as we all can agree, a very bizarre year for life in general, never mind film festivals. Uh, So, yeah, so the festival starts today, September the 10th, and it will be running until the 19th. For the first show, I'm really honored to present an interview that I have done with Michelle Latimer. She's an award-winning filmmaker, writer, and activist. She has two films in this year's festival. One is a feature film called Inconvenient Indian, and the other one is a TV series. It's a CBC series uh, called Trickster, and uh, in both cases, there will be in-person screenings and, uh, you know, a digital screening. And for Trickster, actually, there's only going to be one in-person that you can see on the big screen. All of the in-person screenings at TIFF, you know, will be with your mask on and a limited number of seats. Uh, But in both cases, I really want to make you aware of these um, because if you somehow miss them, even in their digital screening formats, they're going to be released. Uh, Trickster will be released on CBC and CBC Gem on October 7th. It's uh, an actual series. Uh, So there's a lot, you know, a lot there and it's, it's, you know, excellent. Um, And Inconvenient Indian is, of course, a feature documentary. It's going to be actually, it's a world premiere uh, that will be part of the TIFF Docs section and the TIFF Next Wave program. So lots of exciting stuff going on here for Michelle Latimer. Uh, So let me just tell you a little bit before we get into the interview. Inconvenient is this this brilliant film that's you know based on the book by Thomas King, the Inconvenient Indian, and he's you know he's a wonderfully oh, he's such a knowledgeable person, like an incredible intellectual, and such a storyteller. And you know the book was a best-selling book, and it takes us on a critical journey of colonial narratives of North America. Um, Michelle does an incredible job of, you know, um, showing us and revealing and, let you know, letting us see just how uh, narratives around indigenous peoples and their culture were formed or with so much misinformation, uh, you know, by the people that had the cameras, the white people. Um, and then, of course, you know, media pick that up and you know we know we know about the movies um and also there's a lot of um talk about how the media you know currently like michelle really takes us into a look from the current perspective of how the media is really part of the whole misinformation and feeds into you know negative stereotypes uh, so this is a very powerful film, and I, you know, I have to give her credit for, um, you know, it's not just informative, and 
it's also poetic and uh, it's really moving in such a visceral way. I really was inspired to, to just stop sitting around and just to do something. I want, you know, it's really a call to action. So I would call this like one of the must-see films, if not the must-see film of uh, TIFF 2020. And, uh, and it's incredible in the way that it shows how, you know, the current generation of artists is really reclaiming culture and doing something really powerful um, and essential, you know. Um, so, and Trickster is uh, also based on a book, a series of books, a trilogy um, by Eden Robinson. Uh, the book series was called Son of a Trickster. And so this uh, trickster tells the story, it's fiction, obviously, and it tells the story of an indigenous teen who's really struggling to keep his dysfunctional family to, you know, together and, and sort of keep them going as a unit. Um, and it's, a, it's an amazing mix of, you know, elements of, like, what you think are a horror film, uh, but is also mixed in with this incredible realism together with spiritualism, and there's elements of ancient medicine and so much supernatural stuff, but so much real stuff as well. Anyway, so I will stop talking now, and I will introduce my guest, Michelle Latimer. Here's my interview. Thomas King did an incredible thing when he wrote The Inconvenient Indian. He actually subverts history so that you know, it affects our point of view, our perspective on history. And you do an incredible job in this film of doing the same, but you do it in your own way. So I'm really interested in how you approached the whole process of adapting his book to the screen. Sure. I mean, in the beginning, I was pretty intimidated by the prospect of taking that book, which I consider is a real work of art, and thinking about it as um, a series of images. It was very difficult at first, but I really approached it thematically. And then it became, like in the beginning, it was a, a lot of ideas on a big wall with sticky notes. And then it became a distillation mm -hmm. of those ideas. And I think when the publishers sent me uh, a re, a, 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 like a new version of his book. It was a, an illustrated version. And he had written a new, um, foreword to the book. And it was, uh, it was kind of talking about Justin Trudeau and sort of how we move into our future as a country. I really, and we were sitting at his kitchen table actually, myself, Jesse Wendy, and Stuart Henderson, the producers, we went to visit him in Guelph. And we were sitting in his kitchen and he read us that foreword. And we all had the same feeling of, okay, our film starts where that, that, uh, that piece left, leaves off. And then, um, I started really thinking about how media has been implicated in the misrepresentation of indigenous peoples for hundreds of years. And that is kind of what opened the door for me in terms of being able to visualize the film. Mm hmm. Yeah, like it's, it is incredible the way that you bring that out about the media. And make us aware, because the thing about social media is that sometimes you're not even aware how much you're being manipulated. You know, at least sometimes I find. Um, and it actually takes um, me to, like, stop and think for a second and go, wait a minute, that's not right. And, and so, like, issues of history and the creation of history and the propagation of certain ideas and notions, that seems to be coming into the fore because more people are talking about 
social media and what it's doing and also the impact on history. Like people are talking about old films and, and genres that, for example, you know, like are just terrible in the representation of people. And so it seems like, like the, the audience, right, who's taking in these films, people who have always watched Westerns, for example, that the conversation that you're, you're definitely bringing to the fore here is actually adding to that and, you know, bringing it into the light. I guess I should ask you a question. <laughs> well, thank you. No, thank you for that. I mean, <laughs> no, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually complex. Like, I don't think I even appreciated what that history is. Um, you know, it, I think one of the things that I sort of came across when I was doing the series Rise, which was for Viceland, the Indigenous Resistance Series, and then I furthered that research through this process of making Inconvenient Indian, was, um, you know, the, from the beginning of celluloid, some of the earliest images were Indigenous people performing for a camera. Now, what a lot of people don't know is at that time, our dances and our ceremonies were outlawed. And if you they were practiced, you could be thrown in prison, you could be fined. Um, and yet we were allowed or even encouraged to perform them in front of cameras. And those cameras invariably had um, settler uh, cameramen, settler directors, producers behind the lens. And so there's a long history uh, that Indigenous people have with this relationship to media and how they've been represented and what the, what it means to be represented through someone else's eyes. And what about the other stories? And I think we're entering a time and space in society right now and a consciousness where people are recognizing there are many stories and it's not a um, monotheistic kind of a, a, a landscape anymore. No, not at all. And that people are now, to, you know, able to to tell their own stories. And that story is a very different story. And what I love about the film is how self-reflexive you are in using the film and the, like your film and the medium of film itself to highlight just how important it is, who's telling the story, how you tell it and things like that, you know? Uh, um, yeah, thank you for saying that. I think for me, yeah, I wanted it. I wanted us to really think about the gaze, like who who is, for so long we had an ethnographic gaze on a lot of, particularly documentary filmmaking, and you know, a film was looking critically at uh, Flaherty's Nanook of the North, and uh, look at the how that representation is problematic, and now as we're moving into sort of modern, modern documentary, how can we reverse that and, and really show another side of it? Mm-hmm. And in terms of documentary filmmaking, this film is very unique. In, uh, in in the ways that it incorporates so many different elements, you know, it, it is telling a history. It is using, you know, found footage and, you know, uh, people like, talking heads and, you know, like a documentary. But it's also incorporated. Oh, no talking heads. There's no talking heads. Oh. You don't see one person speak on, on camera in my film. And that was a deliberate, deliberate thing because I, I've, I've used to program for documentary film festivals and it was really important to me that you didn't see that because I wanted all the voices to be woven together kind of like a braid so it became a collective telling of a larger story. So many people coming together to tell one bigger story about a community. Uh, and so that's why you don't see anybody speaking on camera. Excellent. Yeah. That's funny how I just... <laughs> um, and yeah, and all those disparate elements, it's it's like there's an artistic element to it in terms of, you know, a, a creative side to what you're incorporating into this documentary. There's a, a spiritual side. Um, and then there's, you know, by incor- talking about 
the artists now who are reclaiming his like um, culture and different practices it's it turns into a, a different it's like a celebration as well so it's just to me it just seemed like there were all these like various elements um so that when we're talking about the documentary form it, you can't easily label this film you know the, the effect of it you can say you know ha, it has an incredible effect in terms of reshaping our perspective but the way it gets there is very you know it's very interesting to me how you wove all those elements together well thank you yeah i was really trying to think about storytelling and I really thought about that. I was trying to use the craft of the the filmmaking itself um, and have the medium itself be part of the messaging of the film. Mm-hmm. That's very apparent. Um, another element that, that I, I thought was really interesting um, was this focus on women artists and contemporary artists. It's, it, it felt like um, a female energy that was cursing through the film, uh, which I found very refreshing and very exciting. Well, that's, that's really, it's so hard to have perspective on your own film. So hearing things like that is really exciting to me. Um, I think uh, when I think about, you know, obviously I'm a woman filmmaker. That's my perspective that I come with. But I do think that there's also something culturally, like so many of our communities are are matriarchal. Uh, we see a lot of female filmmakers in our community who are expressing stories. I don't think there's maybe the same gender lines that there are in other cultures. Yeah, there's maybe not the same gender lines that there are in in, um, in other in other ways. Like I feel like the storytelling is something very ancient in our in our communities. We've had we have oral storytelling culture, and um, and it and it spreads across and spans across genders and ages and I think that's really what's so amazing about stories that can really unite us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely and you definitely show us that. And just to incorporate uh, Trickster, the CBC series that you, you have made um, which is you know a fictional um, account, also an adaptation of a book, um, but it's, it's that female power, that energy is also evidenced there. Um, Maggie She's she's a force of nature unto herself, like an incredible character. Even though she's surrounded by all this male energy, there's something special about Maggie. Yeah, Maggie's a fighter. She's real. She really. Um, I mean, her motto is "The world is hard. You have to be harder." And I think we show ways that Maggie softens throughout the series. But um, but there's something sort of resilient about her and fierce. And uh, I love that she doesn't necessarily fit in and into, in, into, into any perfect boxes. Like when yeah. you often see female characters portrayed on television, they have to be the perfect mother or the perfect mother or, you know, they, they, they fall into these sort of stereotypical roles of what that, um, what, like what a mother would be. And Maggie defies all of those things. And she loves her child fiercely, but it's not always, um, you know, it, it's not always clear and precise. Like it's, she has, she's, she's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And um, you know, she's she's an individual, mm-hmm. like like every character in Trickster. Like the the characters are so vividly portrayed. Um, you just instantly love them. I do. Well, except for oh, the bad guys. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, the bad I think guys. It's, it's a testament to Eden Robinson. Like she she her book. Uh, I, that's what I loved about the book. Like I just fell in love with those characters. I felt like I'd met people like that in my life. 
it felt very, it just resonated with me. And so it was a joy to be able to bring those characters to screen. Mm-hmm. And, and that whole process of bring, bringing them to, to the screen, um, you know, I, I know that it's, it's, you know, when you read a book, you have a certain image, but there's also the process of casting, you know, trying to find someone who matches that image. And sometimes when you're casting, finding someone who maybe opens your interpretation up a little more, you know, and I, I've read that, that your casting process was, was quite a unique experience, like very much of like a family coming together. Um, yeah, on some levels, like we, we definitely did a, a very vast casting search um, across North America, um, and I'm really proud that we came up with a lot of um, actors who were not well known, which I think really allowed them to step into those characters in a in a in a great way. Um, we did have uh, Joel Lulet, who plays the, the the lead character Jared. He um, was 17 when he was uh, cast in the role. And therefore, he needed to have, like, a guardian on set because he was mm-hmm. under um, working age. So his mom joined us on on the set, and she actually ends up playing a small cameo as Crash Pad's mom. And then his brother, who's just a bit older than him, ended up playing his stunt double and body double in the show. So it was, like, quite a family affair on that level. And then with Crystal Lightning, who plays Maggie, uh, her mother, Georgina Lightning, in real life, it plays her mother, Sophia, in the show. Mm-hmm. And Crystal had just had a baby, and that baby plays baby Jared in the show. <laughs> so three generations of lightnings. <laughs> I mean, that definitely has to add something to it. But, you know, when you consider the source material and then what you brought to it in terms of your vision, um, that that must have been an incredible process, you know, of, of script. You did the script and the directing, and, and the directing is just so so vividly like exhilarating um that's you know how it felt to me and it's like how do you how do you approach uh, making something and and uh, do that like so well stylistically well thank you that's very kind i i don't i don't really know i mean i it's not like there's many people that weigh into that uh you know my director of photography steve cousins my um my um designer john dodderman like there's so many people that are weighing into that costumes adriana Fulop. like it's just uh there's many many choices that come together under sort of a unified vision and i think for me like i i love cinema and i find it's a visual medium and so i'm always looking for ways to move the camera that is indicative of um like what the characters are going through and emotional quality i i feel like everything should be intended there's not a false camera move that's not motivated or intent has some intention behind it. That mm-hmm. might just come from my acting background. So I started as an actor and you always do everything as an actor. Every choice you make has an intention and a motivation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I work that way as a director as well. Mm-hmm. That's very obvious. Um, I, I never occurred to me to think of it, you know, you're working from an actor's point of view of knowing what your intention every moment, but that's, that's perfectly adapted, you know, to your role as director, uh, you know, as a, as I said about your style, it's it's quite exhilarating to me, you know. And and the fact that you're, you know, there there are a lot of things going on in terms of in cinema, in terms of um, spirituality and sort of like gothic and horror and stuff. But there's a sort of a, a realness, you know. It's you're you're, you're See, the series is rooted in this realness and the realness of the characters so that even that, even the way that the, the show progresses uh, feels 
uh, like something special, like, like, you know, it could only happen under certain circumstances and, and by your deliberate choices, right? I mean, well, yeah. Thank you. I, I mean, I would say I find that in the harshest of realities and in, in life, you come across magic. Like, you know, I, I don't know how to describe it. Like, there's like little awes in every day, right? If you're just open and attuned to what's around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I feel like when we're working in heightened realism or magical realism or the supernatural, we're just taking the everyday and making it just fantastical. You know, we're finding the little, the little places where something could be just a little bit heightened. And it's no different than when you go to a lake and watch a beautiful sunset or you go to like the Grand Canyon and you're struck with awe at like your little feeling of you're so small in the world compared to this grandiosity around you, you know, of nature. And I, I draw a lot of inspiration from nature and the natural world because that's what I grew up around. And that's, you know, a lot of these stories are are rooted in that at the base. And so um, it becomes uh, an influencer and and definitely a reference point for me when I'm working. Mm -hmm. And and it shows up in the way that you, that you make the film and the way that you deal with, you know, the very real issues um, of the community that you're portraying and uh, the way that it is magical and spiritual in ways that even uh, like issues because there's this question like these these little hints well not some are not hints but there are these issues around um, the the mental health of some of the characters um, and mm-hmm. it's it's approached in in such a a unique kind of way, you know, just, just tell me more about that. Yeah, well, it. I mean, uh, again, I would have to attribute even Robinson's writing. It's definitely, um, it's definitely a, a color fabric uh, in her book. Uh, what I love about it is that um, she approaches it in her writing with zero judgment. And she also gives, and what I find often with particularly indigenous representation is it sometimes lacks context. And I feel mm-hmm. like Eden offered a lot of context in her story. She talks about the intergenerational trauma, but not in a heavy-handed way. It's just layered in there in the relationship between Maggie and her mother, who survived residential school. And addiction is approached from that way, too. There's no judgment on it, but there's a context. If you get to know these characters, you're going to understand why they are the way they are and the choices they made. And for me, that's the basis of empathy in life. Like exactly. When you understand where someone's coming from, you can have empathy towards it. And I feel like Eden writes her characters with a lot of love like that. Yeah, and you portray them like that with a lot of love. Yeah, and which instills that feeling and that you know respect for the people and what they're going through in in the viewer in us in the audience so mm-hmm. thank, thank you, you. <laughs> that's a huge compliment i appreciate it <laughs> oh good okay and um i think that's a good place you know to end okay um thank you very much um you've really you know opened up both of both uh, the inconvenient indian and trickster um, in terms of helping us all, you know, see it with with more depth. Um, so this this has been great. Thank you. Thank you. I I really appreciate that. And thanks for the wonderful feedback. I mean, you work so long on something, and you have no idea how the world will receive it. So I always love to hear people's individual reactions to the stories. It's ni- it's nice. It's a gift back. That was my chat with filmmaker Michelle Latimer. She's actually a writer, producer. She's done so much. And 
um, on the on both of these films, uh, she to remind you, she has made Inconvenient Indian, and it's getting its world premiere. It's a feature documentary. Um, I should probably tell you, if you don't know Michelle, um, she's known for her filmmaking, uh, especially in her documentary um, work. Uh, in 2017, she made an eight-part indigenous resistance series called Rise, and it premiered at the 2017 Sundance Film Festival. It was named Best Documentary Program at the 6th Canadian Screen Awards. Um, she had a short called Nuka at uh, TIFF 2017, which also screened at the 2018 Sundance and Berlin Film Festivals. So, you know, she really knows her documentaries. And Inconvenient Indian is, is a, you know, as I kept saying in the interviews, it's very unique. Uh, but it's, it's incredibly moving. And uh, I definitely would call it a must-see of this year's festival. And Michelle has also made Trickster, which is a CBC series. You get to see it on the big screen at, um, at TIFF. Uh, there's a, one, only one screening of that, and there's a digital screening. And if you happen to miss those, you get to tune in on the CBC and CBC Gem platforms to, uh, to see the series. And it's going to premiere October the 7th. So look out for that. And Inconvenient Indian, if somehow you miss it, which would be unfortunate, but not the end of the world because it will be released. And I, you know, I recommend that you try to watch it at TIFF and then watch it again when it gets released because it's that good. Anyway, so that's uh, the beginning of our coverage of uh, TIFF 2020. And that's it for this week's edition. Thanks for listening. Take care.